0: If you would open up in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six. The title of our message today is the same as it was last week, chosen by the Father. This is part two of of our message from last week. I don't like to do part one and part two uh, that much, but just it's just a lot here and um, and. So, it is what it is. Uh, Part 2, Chosen by the Father. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Last week I read um, the entire passage, verses 3 through 14. Um, I'm just going to read verses 3 through 6 today. This is the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is the word of the Lord for His church today. When I first purchased my laptop, I went ahead and bought a case to go with it, a protective covering, um, that stays on it all the time. And at the bottom of that, on the underneath side of that protective case, are these two little legs that you can swing down, and it props the laptop up at an angle. Uh, well, the other day I was working on my laptop, and for some reason I thought about those two little legs on the case. I, I think I've had that laptop in the case for about two, two years. I don't think I've ever swung those little legs down on the case. And so I thought, you know what? It's, it's about time, and so I, I swung those little legs down, and it propped it up in an angle, and I set my hands and, and wrists up there, and the difference was immediately noticeable. Normally, my wrists are uncomfortable, and sometimes they hurt while I'm typing, but this time, my wrists, my hands were at a much more comfortable angle, and my first thought was, wow, this feels so much better. And my second thought was, why am I just now beginning to use and enjoy the feature on this laptop case? Now, the thing is, nothing changed the other day about my laptop case. The legs have been there. If you want to call them legs, they're only about this big. But the little legs, little props, they've been there all along. They've been there. What changed was that I actually took the time to pay attention to their presence and put them to proper use. And the result is that I think I'm going to enjoy using my laptop a little bit more. And I think I might probably, possibly prevent or at least slow down some of the damage that comes to your wrist when you spend a lot of time typing. Church, I think for some believers, the biblical reality of what we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week, the doctrine of election, may be to God's plan of salvation in a similar way what those legs on my laptop case are to my laptop. Here's what I mean by that. It's always been there. Doctrine of election has always been there. It's not something that we're inventing. It's always been there. It's just that for whatever reason, for, for some believers, I think, whether it's unintentional neglect, intentional neglect, purposeful, um, just kind of not wanting to, to have anything to do with it, maybe a result of bad teaching, or, or I think a lot of it is just laziness in Bible study, just not reading our Bibles um, and paying inten- paying attention to everything that's there. Perhaps you've just never taken the time to consider this doctrine, to enjoy this doctrine, and to apply this doctrine to your life as you live out your salvation. And in some way, we're all learning more. Even if we thought about it before, we're all learning more about this particular doctrine. I believe that learning about God's sovereignty in our salvation, part of which is his choosing people for salvation, will only help us to do what? To enjoy our salvation more, to live out our salvation better, to prevent possible damage that could come to our understanding of salvation whenever we neglect this biblical doctrine. And ultimately to lead us into greater praise of God, which is the main point of all of salvation and of our passage today. Now, again, this is part two of last week's sermon. So we have the same main idea statement. Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six teaches us this church to praise God for choosing us for salvation. It teaches us this. If we will walk away from anything from verses three through six, we ought to walk away with this. We're to praise God for choosing us for salvation. Let me remind you of the context. And maybe you want to scan your eyes um, briefly through uh, not just these verses, but all the way through this passage through the end of verse 14. Paul opens the main body of his letter to the Ephesians with a, praise to God. We talked about this last week, a doxology. Simply put, verses three through 14 are a, a, a praise to God. He starts it out in verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ or praise be to God, um, uh, the God, our father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're praising God. Why? Well, the second half of verse three tells us why, because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us. In Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So then the question becomes this. How? How? How is it that sinners dead in our sin could come to a place where we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? How does that happen? And there's several ways that Paul answers that question. Several parts of the answer in chapter uh, 1 verses 4 through 14. And the first part of that answer is... God chose us for salvation. How is it that we go from being dead in our sin as he talks about in chapter 2, to being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, it is because God the Father chose us. Verse 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Last week, I shared with you the, with, with you the first truth that I think we learn in verses 4 through 6, and that's this. The foundation of our salvation is the sovereign choice of God. Now, that's what we spent most of our time last week, unpacking that truth that we see here. And, and I would encourage you, if you missed last week's sermon, go back and listen to it, uh, not because I think I did a wonderful job preaching it just because there's a lot here and I can't go back and review all of that and repeat all of that today. We dove deep last week and what we learned is very important. Let me summarize. What does it mean that the foundation of our salvation is a sovereign choice of God? It means that God is ultimately responsible for the salvation of those who come to faith in Jesus. At the most foundational level, we are saved because God chose us to be saved. Or as Paul says in verses 5 and then again in verse 11, God predestined us for salvation. As we said last week, this does not negate the need for people to come to a point where they place their faith in Jesus for salvation. But it does mean that those who choose to place their faith in Jesus for salvation are able to do so because God chose them for salvation, as the text says, from before the foundation of the world. But now we want to move on into the rest of verse four and verses five through six. I want to share with you three more truths today as we consider the fact that saints, that's who he addresses the letter to, that is those who are have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that that we're, we're chosen by the Father. Three more truths as we think about this first answer to how. How is it that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing? God chose us. What is that What does that look like? The um, last part of verse 4 and then first part of verses 5 and 6. Now, I'll tell you, I said three truths. The 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 last of the truths that I'll give you today, which is number 4, since we did number 1 last week, I'm just going to come at the very end of our sermon, okay? So at the very end of our time, I'll give you that last one. We'll spend most of our time on um, the second and third truths. Now, we can think about the second half of verse 4 through verse 6 as answering the question of why. Why did God choose us for salvation? So the reality is... We are in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How? First part of the answer. God chose us. Why? Why then did God choose us for salvation? And when we ask why, we can ask that in two ways. We might mean, for what purpose did God choose us for salvation? Or we might mean, on what basis did God choose us for salvation? Let me give you an example of that. Let's say that your boss comes to you and and selects you to receive a promotion. Says, you you are receiving a promotion. and, And you then say, why? You may ask the question, why? Well, your boss can answer in one of two ways. He can answer with a purpose statement or with on the basis of, with an on the basis of statement. Here, here's what I mean by that. He might say, well, I chose you because I want the company to grow and, and I think you can help the company grow. And so the purpose for which I chose you is to help our company grow. It's a purpose statement. Or when you ask why uh, he might would say, well, it's because you've outperformed all of your other workers, uh, co-workers, or, or maybe because you're a nice person and you're easy to get along with or whatever reason that would be a, a, a basis question. So why did you, why did you pick me? Well, Purpose, to grow the company, or on the basis of, your performance. So the question why can lead to a purpose answer or a basis answer. And what we see here is that Paul answers in both ways. Paul gives both. He gives purpose and he gives on the basis of. First, Paul answers the question, why, from the perspective of purpose. What is the purpose for which God chose us for salvation? That's truth number two. So number two, God chose us for the purpose of transforming us. God chose us for the purpose of transforming us. Last week I mentioned that one of the objections to the doctrine of election is that it might lead to laziness when it comes to the pursuit of holiness. In other words, somebody might be tempted to say, well... If God's already chosen me for salvation, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I live. He, he, he doesn't really care. I mean, he's already chosen me. It's already a done deal. It doesn't matter how I live. Well, friends, that could get me further from the truth. And that is a complete misunderstanding of God's purpose in election. God doesn't choose us in order to leave us the same, which would mean walking in sin and walking as children of God's wrath. As he as Paul describes in chapter two, verses one through three. And maybe you say, well, yeah, of course he transforms us. He's going to transform my my destination one day. He transforms our eternal destination from hell to heaven. Well, absolutely. That's part of salvation. He transforms our destination. But so many people think that that's all that he transforms. They would agree that he transforms something, but it's just where they're going one day. But that's not what this passage says. It says that God transforms us. It transforms. He transforms us. He transforms both our character and our identity, which transforms how we live right here and right now in this world. I want to break this truth into two parts. Let's think first about our character. God transforms our character from sinfulness to holiness. When you think character, think about our heart, the very depths of who we are. He changes that. Look at verse four. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, here comes purpose statement that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Church, it can't get much clearer than that. If you are saved today and you ask God, why did you choose me? One answer he would give is this to make you holy and blameless before me. Well, what does that mean? Well, in one sense, it means that one day, and we'll talk about this in just a second, we will be Stand before God, holy and blameless. Positionally, he makes us blameless in Christ because the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. But it's not just that one day we will be that way. It works itself out in practice in day to day living. It means God chose you for salvation to transform your character from one in which sin ruled the day to one in which holiness rules the day. Which means that not only does our character change, but that which flows from our character, which is our conduct, our behavior, the choices that we make. Paul devotes half of his letter in chapters four through six to teaching Christians how to live holy lives in a dark and sinful world. Just think about his his kind of main idea statement going into that section. Chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore, walk. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That word walk means the choices that we make on a day to day basis, how we live our lives in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. What is the calling to which Christians have been called? It is the eternal salvation for which God chose us for the purpose of making us holy and blameless before him. So if you think for a second that how you live doesn't matter, that God is unconcerned with how you choose to live as a follower of Christ because He's already chosen you for salvation, then you've completely missed the boat. You completely missed the whole the whole purpose here of Him choosing us. If God has chosen someone for salvation, then there will be visible evidence, and the visible evidence will be faith in Jesus leading to a life of holiness. In other in other words. Um, We're not going to walk in the same ways that we once walked. We're not going to keep doing the same sins that we once did. This doesn't mean that we'll be perfect this side of heaven. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we will be putting off sin and pursuing holiness in our lives until we reach heaven. Not because we're trying to earn salvation, but because God has given us salvation of his own choosing. For the purpose of making us holy and blameless. Consider what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. This is in a passage where he's calling on the believers to make a choice. To choose to abstain from sexual immorality. And he says this. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Why did God call us? So that we would pursue holiness. Or consider 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Or consider one more place in God's Word, Romans chapter 8 verse 29. There Paul says that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. For the purpose of making us look like Jesus, one who is perfect and holy in every way. Church, God's sovereignty over our salvation in no way diminishes the expectation that we will seek to be, to live holy lives. In fact, it's only because God saves us that we can live holy lives. And as we've seen in verse four, it's only because God chooses us that we are saved. And so election actually serves as the foundation for us living holy lives. And it protects us from pride as we see ourselves looking more and more like Jesus. We ought to see that. It's not arrogant for us to say, I can tell that I look more like Jesus today than I did 10 years ago. As I'm. Learning to work out this salvation in me, and as I'm putting off sin and putting on holiness, it's not arrogance. We should see that. We should be looking more and more like Jesus. But this doctrine protects us from pride because we realize we're not the foundation for that transformation. God and His choice is the foundation for that transformation in our lives. But Paul doesn't stop there as we think about transformation. Doesn't just stop with character. Verse five, we learn that God transforms our identity. And he transforms our our identity from rejected to adopted. God transforms our identity from rejected to adopted. We're still answering the question of why God chose us, and we're still answering from the perspective of for what purpose. That is, the purpose is to transform us. How? What? Transforms our character, we just talked about that, and he transforms our identity. Verse 5, he predestined us for, here's purpose, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So God chose us that we would be holy, and he predestined us for adoption as sons. Now that word predestined means what it sounds like it means. It means that God predetermined to do something before that thing actually happened. What is it that God predestined? He predestined us, that is the saints, those who are in Christ, Christians, people who have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. He predestined us for adoption as sons. that word translated adoption as sons is is really one word in the Greek. If you wanted to try to translate it into one word in English, you might could use the word sonship. And your translation may even use that, the word sonship. So he predestined us for sonship or to be adopted as sons. What does that mean? What does it mean to be adopted as sons? Let's start with the word adoption. Well, in the Roman world in which Paul and the Ephesians were living, there was something similar to what we have now called adoption. This actually isn't too hard for us to understand what adoption means. Adoption was where someone who was not a part of a family became a legal member of the family by the will of that family. In other words, the person being adopted didn't walk around and say, you know what? I'm going to be a part of that family. It was the family going going around saying that person is going to be a part of this family. It was a legal transaction and that person became a legal member of the family by the will of that family. That's the word adoption. What about this as sons, as sons? Well, to be adopted as a son meant that the individual being adopted had all the rights and privileges and responsibilities that came with being a member of that family, including a right to the inheritance. And this is what God does with those he chooses for salvation. He adopts us as sons. Paul is Under the inspiration of of God is, is using a word here that would tell his listeners what God has predestined us for is to have all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of being a member of the family of God, of having God as our father. And it truly is an incredible aspect of salvation. We who once were children of God's wrath become adopted children of God. We go from being rejected by God to being adopted by God. Just think about that for a minute. Think about what it means to be rejected by God. It means his wrath. It means hell. It means the just punishment for our sin. And we get a complete transformation of our identity in Christ. We get to be adopted By the Father. Our identity is completely transformed. And that new identity completely changes how we live. live. Think about it in two ways. You've already heard me say these words. Think about it in in uh, in the categories of rights and responsibilities. Rights and responsibilities. First, adoption comes with rights. Or maybe you could say privileges to enjoy. Let's think about those for just a moment. As people adopted by God, we have the right to call God Father. Not just God, not just distant God, not just holy God, not just God who is who is going to pour his wrath out on me for my sin. But 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 and not even just kind of some distant friend, but father, we have the right to enter into the presence of God in prayer. We have the right to rest in the reality of a reconciled relationship with God. We have the right to run into God's loving arms when we are scared or hurting or disappointed or uncertain. We have the right to participate in the fellowship of the saints. That is our brothers and sisters in Christ. God doesn't adopt us as as only, child, as only children, as an only child. He adopts us into the family with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to enjoy that. We have the right to look forward to an inheritance of eternal life, enjoying the glory of God and the riches of Christ forever and ever and ever. Adoption comes with rights to enjoy. And it's not just a list that we would look at. And learn what they are. But these rights change how we live. For example, if you know that you have an eternal inheritance in heaven. Then you don't have to succumb to the materialism. That is the frantic pursuit of money and stuff that plagues so many in our society today. Let me give another example. If you know that God has adopted you and sees you as his child. Then when you're convicted of sin, instead of trying to cover it up. You know that you can run to God, knowing that he will be displeased with you, but also knowing that he still loves you. And he will forgive you and he will help you repent of that sin and replace it with holiness in your life. Changes how we live, but adoption doesn't just come with rights to enjoy. Adoption also comes with responsibilities to fulfill. Adoption comes with responsibilities to fulfill. When you're adopted into a family, you take on that family name. means everywhere you go, no matter who you're around, you are representing that family name. Maybe you had a dad who, before you would leave the house to go hang out with your friends, might say something like this. Now, remember who you belong to. Remember who you belong to. Remember who you belong. What what, what did he mean by that? What's somebody mean by that? Well, he's saying, remember that your name is my name. And so everything you do ought to be a reflection of our family's values and what we stand for. Don't bring shame to the family name. No matter what choices other people make, you have a responsibility to choose that which honors our family name. That's what he meant by saying, remember who you belong to. Because you're carrying the family name. Church, the same is true when it comes to our adoption by God. We now carry his family name. And so we have the responsibility to rightly reflect the standards and values of our Heavenly Father. Let me give you one example of this where we see this, uh, a very practical example in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, the last verse of Ephesians chapter 4 and the first verse of, uh, of chapter 5. Paul says, be kind to one another forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So note the the change in behavior. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. We're looking to God as our example. But why would we want to imitate God? Notice that he roots it in adoption. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, You're children of God. You ought to look like God. And so as he has forgiven you, you then in your life, in your relationships with others, ought to be forgiving them in the same way. Adoption comes with responsibilities to fulfill, namely to represent well the holiness of the one whose name we bear. And so, Christian, saint, are you living a transformed life? Can others tell that your character has been transformed As that character flows out in your conduct, are you pursuing holiness? Are you seeking to live a blameless life? Can others tell that your identity has been transformed? Are you overflowing with joy as you experience the the rights of adoption? Are you living with sober mindedness? That means thinking very carefully about how you live, making sure you are reflecting well your new family name, the name of God Almighty, who is perfectly holy, the one whose name we bear. This is the purpose for which God chose you and sacrificed his son for you. And so we pursue this holy living. We pursue this blameless lifestyle. We pursue this identity, living out this new identity that we have in Christ. But we pursue it with the assurance, and I love this, we we pursue it with the assurance that one day we will be perfectly holy and blameless. I love what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. So that is the destination. That is the eternal reality, us being presented as holy and blameless. And right now, God is working that out in us as we cooperate with the spirit to put away sin in our lives and to pursue holy living. And so when we ask the question of why God chose us, the answer from the perspective of purpose is to transform us by forever transforming our character and identity. Now, before we move on, I want you to notice the phrase in love. You, You see it there in between those two parts that we just talked about at the end of verse four, the beginning of verse five. Remember verses 3 through 14 is actually one long sentence in the Greek. And so it's kind of hard to know where in our English translations to put periods and commas and those kinds of things to help us make sense of it. And this is one of those really hard uh, places. It's hard to know whether that phrase, in love, goes with verse 4 or whether it goes with verse 5. If it goes with verse 4, then it means that love for one another ought to characterize our holy living, that you should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Or it could go with verse 5, which means that, it's, that that this love is, is talking about God's predestining us to adoption. He does it in love. So it, it might be talking about our love for others, or it might be talking about God's love for us. And there's good textual reasons to support both possible readings. But the truth is, both of those are truths that are taught throughout Scripture. God loves us, and we are to love one another. Just for example, chapter 2, verse 4, tells us that God saved us because of the great love with which he loved us. And then chapter four, verse two, tells us that we are to bear with one another in love. The truth is that God chose us because of his love to transform us so that we would love one another. Now, we move on to the second way Paul answers the question, why did God choose us? Why did he choose us? We started with the purpose to transform us. Now we want to see the basis the basis. So go back to our, uh, our other illustration. Your boss says, you know, you get a promotion and you say, why? He says, for the purpose of growing the company. Um, or we might say, because you outperformed everyone else. Well, that may be true when it comes to you and a promotion at work. But actually, the basis for God choosing us is the exact opposite of that. In fact, it has nothing to do with our performance or anything that we have done. But it has everything to do with God, his will, his Glory and His grace. Why did God choose us? On what basis did God choose us? Truth number three God chose us on the basis of His will, His glory, and His grace. I'm not being very creative with this truth statement here. I'm just basically repeating what what we find here in the text. We see the word uh, will, we see the word glory, and we see the word grace. On what basis did God choose us? The basis of His will, His glory, and His grace. Paul says God chose us, he predestined us, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want to talk about these words for just a, mo- a moment, because words matter. And, and translation matters. The, the Greek word translated purpose, the purpose of his will, it, it can also be translated good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. It's, 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 the, mean, it's the idea of he, because he wanted to. Because it pleased him to do it. The the, the good pleasure, it would please him to accomplish this because it's in accordance with his will. And then there's the phrase to the praise of his glorious grace. And I think I mentioned this last week, but you could also translate that to the praise of the glory of his grace. And it's basically saying the same thing. But I kind of like that translation because we do see the word glory there in the Greek and we do see the word grace there in the Greek. So to the praise of the glory of his grace just helps emphasize both of those words. The glory of God and the grace of God. And then, and then that final phrase with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That, that word that's translated sometimes blessed, it actually also contains the word for grace. It's not just the word grace, but it's based on the root word of grace. You could translate it several different ways. I, one, one Greek scholar translated it like this as begraced. I'm not sure that's a real word, but, but to, to, to put grace on us. To 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 great. We we don't. In other words, we don't want to think that we're blessed because of something we did, but we're we're blessed because of something that God has done. It's his grace. Or, or maybe you could translate it as as um given us by his grace. Some translations say freely given us that word grace is important, and I don't think we want to lose it even in our translations. Now, I'm not trying to be technical for the sake of being technical. I, I promise I'm not doing that. God is saying something here through Paul, that is extremely important in our understanding of God's election of people for salvation. Paul is stacking up various words and phrases on top of one another to drive home the point that God in no way chose us because of our will or our worthiness or our works. But he chose us solely on the basis of his will, his glory, his grace. So we ask, on what basis did God choose us? His will, not our will. His glory, not our worthiness, his grace, not our works. Christian, there may come a temptation in your life to think that somehow God looked ahead and chose you based on some good work or good works that he knew you would do. God, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, does tell us that God prepared beforehand good works for us to do. But his choosing us for salvation is not based on us doing those good works, because if that was the case, then it wouldn't be by his grace. This blessing would not come to us as a free gift, as the Bible says, but rather as a wage we had earned. The biblical doctrine of salvation by grace would be completely undermined if God chose us based on our works. You may also find it enticing to believe that God chose you based on your choice of him. In other words, God looked into the future and saw that you would choose him. And on the basis of your choice, he chose you. I really don't think that's that aligns with scripture either. Here's, here's just a couple of reasons why. First, God's word never explicitly says that God chose us based on our choice of him. But it does say very clearly that God chose us based on his choice of us. His, his pleasure at his will being accomplished and showing his grace to sinners. But second, another reason, if the, think about it this way. If the basis of God's choice of us was our choice of him, then our choice, not God's choice, is actually the foundation of our salvation. But not only would that seem to contradict what Paul is very clearly teaching in this passage here, emphasizing God's sovereignty and choice, not ours as the foundation of salvation. It would make salvation God's response to a good choice we had made rather than our response to a gracious choice God had made. And there's a huge difference between the two of those. In other words, we would be the initiators or causers of our salvation if God chose us based on our choice of him. And again, that contradicts both the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of, uh, excuse me, the doctrine of, of grace. The doctrine of grace, of salvation by grace, says that salvation is a gift and not a wage, which means it's based on the goodwill of the giver. It's not a response to a good choice of the receiver. Did you catch that? Grace means that that gift is based on the goodwill of the giver, not a good choice of the receiver, because it completely then becomes based and not grace based. Or as one theologian put it, the act of choosing is one of grace and not one of debt. In other words, God didn't choose us because he owed us something because of either our works or our good choice to, to, to turn from our sin and believe in him. Grace is, is it's based on grace, not based on a debt that God owed us. And then that's the doctrine of grace. And then the doctrine of sin says that we're completely dead in our sin, enemies of God, and by nature, objects of God's wrath. In other words, we never would choose to repent of our sin and submit our lives to the lordship of Christ Jesus unless God first chose us and intervened based on his desire and will to rescue us, not our desire and will to be rescued by him. Because, again, we never would desire that. This this, this example has has helped me a lot. Uh, Case in point here is Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm going to paraphrase here the words of one theologian who I think hit the nail on the head here. If there were ever any sinners that ever walked the face of this earth who possibly would have chosen God completely of their own will apart from God's prior choice and initiating grace in their lives, it would have been Adam and Eve. Why is that? Think about it this way. I've never thought about this. They are the only sinners who had ever experienced a perfect relationship with God. They're the only sinners who had ever walked in fellowship with God. They're the only sinners who knew firsthand how good it was to have a relationship with God that was unhindered by sin. If anyone would have run to God in their sin on their own choosing, it would have been Adam and Eve. But what did Adam and Eve do? Instead of choosing to run to God in their sin, they hid from God. They chose to run the opposite direction. Sin had overtaken them. And so God then chose to make the first move. He came for them. It was his initiative, his will, his choice, which led to their shame being covered. Now, if they, those who had experienced perfect peace with God, didn't choose to run toward God in their sin, how in the world could we, who were born as enemies of God, think that we would ever choose to run to God in our sin unless God chose us on the basis of his own will and grace to intervene in our lives. Again, we go back to the text in Ephesians chapter one, his choice of us was according to or on the basis of not his pleasure at our choice or will, but his pleasure at his will. And further, both of these views, the view that God's choice of us is based on our good works and the view that God's choice of us is based on our choice of God, place us in a position of being worthy of praise for our salvation since they both, to some degree, put us as the causers of our salvation. But Ephesians 1 and all of the Bible clearly teaches that God does all things for his glory, and that includes our salvation. So God is going to accomplish salvation in such a way that he gets all the glory. Or let me put it to you one other way. And then we'll we'll move on. If we say that God chose us because we chose him, then it would be the same as saying God loved us because we loved him. But I want you to listen to First John, chapter four, verse 19. Says this, we love because he first loved us. It's God's word. We love because he first loved us. In other words, his love caused us to love him, not the other way around. In the same vein of thought, we can say that his choice of us caused us to choose him, not the other way around, which means he gets all the glory. Church, undoubtedly, if God chose to save us based on his will and his grace, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse nine, there are no grounds for boasting at all for our salvation. He gets all the glory and God always does all things for his glory. So why did God choose us purpose for the purpose of transforming us basis on the basis of his will, his glory and his grace. Now, hopefully you're sitting there wondering, now, where does faith fit into this emphasis on God's sovereignty? And that's a great question. And actually, we talked about it some last week. I addressed it um, a little bit last week, and I said that the reality of God's sovereign choice does not negate the necessity for us to choose to believe in Jesus. It is through faith in Jesus that God's predetermined saving grace flows into our lives and brings about the transformation that we so desperately need. But there is more that I want to say about it, but I'm going to save it for verses 11 through 14. When we get to verses 11 through 14, we're going to talk more about the relationship between God's sovereignty over salvation and human responsibility to receive salvation. Because we see both in that passage in verse 11 through 14. But for now, notice that I said that we have to have faith in Jesus, that that's necessary for us to receive God's free gift of salvation. Why didn't I just say faith in God? When I mean, God the Father chooses us for salvation. Why don't we need to have faith just simply in God? Why, why specifically in, in Jesus? Well, church, it's because Jesus, God the Son, is the centerpiece of God's salvation plan. He is the means. Jesus is the means through which all of God's sovereign plan of salvation is accomplished, including his choice of us. One final truth as we close. I told you I was going to give, give you the last one at the end. And it's simply this, church, very important God chose us in Jesus again. Not being very creative here, just saying what the text says, God chose us in Jesus, extremely important three times in verses four through six, Paul centers the electing purposes of God, the father in God, the son in verse four, he says that God chose us in him, that in him is referring to Christ Jesus. In verse 5, he says that God predestined us through Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, he says that God blessed us or begraced us in the beloved. The beloved is the Father's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the next set of verses that Lord willing will will come to next week focuses in on the specific role Jesus played in our salvation, namely that Jesus, God, the son, died to pay the price for our sin and then rose from the dead to be the eternal centerpiece of the glory of God. But long before the father sent his son to the earth on a rescue mission for us, long before even God, the father created the world through his son, God, the father chose us. In his son, in Christ, God was choosing us for salvation. It was in Christ, in the son, that the father was sovereignly choosing. Now, let me ask this. Why did the father choose us in Christ? We've talked about why the father chose us to transform us and on the basis of his will, his glory and his grace. But why did he choose us in Christ? Why in Christ? Well, perhaps because the predestination of our salvation was not the only predestining God did before the foundation of the world. In Acts chapter 4 verse 28, the apostle Peter said that God the Father predestined the crucifixion of Jesus. In other words, in God's mind before he even created the world, he had already determined that his son was going to die on the cross for our sins. Peter uses the same word in Acts chapter four, predestined to speak of the crucifixion of Jesus as Paul does to refer to our adoption as sons here in Ephesians chapter one church, God chose us in Christ because it was in Christ that God would provide everything that would be necessary for sinners to be saved. And he has provided it because Jesus has come. He has died for our sins. He has risen up from the grave. Jesus, friend, is the center of it all because God's choice was made in Christ. Our response must be to believe in Christ. To surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. To turn from sin and to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Because God chose us in Christ. So let me ask you, do you need to believe in Jesus for salvation? The Bible says that if you're lost in your sin, then the right response to the message of the gospel is that you would believe in Jesus for salvation. And so do you need to do that today? Like maybe today God is calling you to... Trust in Christ and what he did on the cross and God's plan of salvation to save you. Maybe you've been relying on your works. Maybe you've been relying on good choices that you think you've made. But today you need to rely on Jesus to save you from your sin. Christian. Having trusted in Christ for salvation. Does it show? Are you living the transformed life that God chose you for, that he saved you for? You see holiness in your life? Can others see, see, others see you living blameless life? What about your identity? Hey, is it obvious that, that you belong to the Holy God? Is, that, is it obvious that you, you bear His name and that you're representing Him in the way that you live and the way that you interact with your family, with your friends, with others around you, people at work, people at school? Is that obvious that your identity has been transformed? And are you giving God all the glory for your salvation, for the transformation that he has accomplished, that he is accomplishing, and that he will accomplish one day? Are you giving him all the glory? He's done it in such a way that he gets all the glory. And so we praise God for his sovereign choice. We praise God for Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for allowing us for just a little while this morning to chew on the meat of Your Word. Father, these are not easy things to understand, but as we, as we considered last week, we do want to believe everything that we can know and understand that You have revealed to us in Your Word regarding You, regarding Jesus, regarding us, regarding Your plan of salvation. But Father, we have a choice to make of whether or not we'll respond appropriately to your truth, to your word. And so God, by your grace, would you help us respond in a way that brings you honor and glory? If that means trusting in Jesus for salvation, Lord, I pray for that lost person right now. That person would would ask you to save them on the basis of Jesus and what he did on the cross and through the empty tomb to save them. Father, if it's, confession of sin for a believer if it's asking for your help and living the transformed life that you have called us to live Lord I pray that you would give us the the humility to ask for your help and, and the grace to walk according to the Spirit each and every day in our lives to choose to represent well the name that we bear it's the name that we bear Lord only by your will by your grace for your glory And so, God, ultimately, it's all meant to lead us to praise You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.